Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, Enderf. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. First off, I want to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. This episode is being released Christmas Eve, and as a little bit of a Christmas Eve special today, we're going to share an experience that takes place around Christmas time. And also stick around if you're curious enough to hear me singing a song that I wrote, a Christmas song that I wrote a couple of years ago. I'll just play it as in place of the... Uh, outro music as at the end of the podcast, so um, stick around if you'd like to hear that. And today's experience, like I said, it takes place around Christmas time, and it is the experience of Paul. Okay, and Paul says, I was driving a white two-door Austin 1100, which is a small car, when the event occurred. My wife Christine was in the passenger seat and her younger sister in the back. Although I was wearing a seatbelt, neither Christine nor my sister-in-law was wearing one. The purpose of the trip was to visit my father's grave and place Christmas wreaths. My father is buried in Retford, Nottinghamshire. We were driving across the Paninis from Huddersfield, Yorkshire. As I was driving round a right-hand bend... Near the village of Penistone, the car left the road. I suddenly found myself driving on a bumpy grass verge, which runs parallel to the road. To retain control of the car, I held on to the steering wheel with both hands, my feet braced and supporting my weight. My left foot was on the floor, but my right foot was on the accelerator or gas pedal, which was pressed to the floor. Subsequently, the car was accelerating. I was not able to change position and realized a crash was inevitable. The car bounced along the grass verge. I was aware of oncoming traffic and concerned we would head on, we have a head-on collision. I remember silently exclaiming, Oh Christ! Then I began to pray in earnest that if someone was to be injured or killed, it would be me because of my bad driving. I saw coming towards the windscreen a plank of wood. I was moving very slowly, end on to my line of sight. I was convinced it would penetrate the windscreen, strike me in the face, and kill me. My perception of motion had speeded up a hundredfold. As I realized I was about to be killed, a sensation as of a swirling vortex began to develop or to envelop my whole body, which then concentrated in my head, and I exited my body through the top of my head. I literally flew out of the top of my head. I found myself traveling in an upwards direction, in total darkness, but with a marvelously wonderful sense of well-being. I was cocooned in what I perceived to be a spherical form. My initial thought was, if this is being dead, I like it. The joy of freedom from my body was as intense as it was immense. I perceived I was traveling at great speed, but I had no reference by which to measure how fast it was. 
I was being cared for, looked after. I felt very secure. I was traveling towards some place I was not aware of. Then, suddenly, I became aware of light. The light was small and circular and grew larger as I approached it. It grew in size as I looked and traveling and traveling towards it. Then a voice came from the disk of light. The voice was very authoritative, commanding, but not intimidating. The command was, go back. Instantly, I found myself back in the car with a pain in my face. I had only suffered a black eye. Christine had a collapsed lung for which she had to stay in the hospital. Also, her head had struck the windshield and was bruised from the impact. My sister-in-law had suffered a cracked vertebrae. My sense of loss at being back in my body was too great to describe, tempered by the relief that Christine and her sister were relatively unharmed. Together with Christine's father, I checked the condition of the car on Christmas Day. I had come to rest in a pasture after entering through a gateway in a heavily built dry stone wall, typical of the fields of those parts, which paralleled the grass verge. The course of the car along the verge was about 150 yards. The car was a write-off. The windscreen had popped out in one piece. All the tires were flat, and the driver's side B pillar was sheared off at the base and bent parallel to the car roof. It is inexplicable how the car traveled along the grass verge for 150 yards and then made a sudden right turn through a gateway into a pasture. It is as though the car was guided to its end position. I understood the disk of light to be representative of Jesus in the form he takes when truly present in the blessed sacrament of the altar. A consequence of this experience is that I don't have a fear of death. When in deep, silent prayer my head shakes slightly, and it is as though my being or consciousness is knocking on the inside of my head trying to get out unsuccessfully get out, becoming one with the Blessed Trinity. One could say that it is a sensation reminiscent of the near-death experience, but not of nearly the same intensity. I yearn for heaven. The older I get, the nearer I am to enjoying this reality. Life is a rocky road on the way to the house of our Father, the only career worth pursuing is to return to the house of our Father. The name of the road is called love, which is a, is a decision to be gentle and kind, but it can, depending on the circumstances, feel like crucifixion. This is what Christians understand by the cross and carrying the cross. Nothing in this life is worth the loss of heaven. During my first pilgrimage to, I'm sorry, I'm going to botch this, Medjugorje, Bosnia, Herzegovina, formerly Yugos Yugoslavia, on 18th of October 1987, immediately after receiving Holy Communion, 
I heard the following words audibly, Jesus is inside you. These words were spoken in a voice like tinkling crystal, a voice that is unforget- as unforgettable as it is difficult to adequately describe. I mention this event because, for me, it is a continuation and reinforcement of the near-death experience I experienced in 1971. My reaction to hearing the words was, I wept with joy because God is real. All that is written in scripture and recorded in the tradition, understood and taught by the magisterium through the light of the Holy Spirit is true. It is not a fairy tale. It is all true. A further consequence of the near-death experience is when occasionally I suffer anxiety I go to Mass and receive Jesus in Holy Communion. As Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, under the appearance of bread and wine, melts into me, the anxiety melts away. The first time this phenomenon occurred was during a hard period our business was enduring in the difficult economic period in the early 1990s. I was gripped with an anxiety that was physical in its intensity, gut-wrenching. I prayed throughout the whole day for relief. I was very conscious this anxiety seemed to be a lack of trust in God and in his providence. I longed for the end of this particular working day to be able to attend Mass in the Friary Chapel, because I thought that as soon as I entered the chapel, the anxiety would leave but it didn't. I then thought that when the Mass begins, it would go, but no. Then I thought the anxiety would go at the consecration, but no, the anxiety I felt was still at its full physical force. The anxiety only left me when I received the sacred host at the Holy Communion. As Jesus melted into me to become one with me, the anxiety melted away. I was elated, overjoyed. The difficulties associated with the company remained, but the the anxiety was gone. I know Jesus is with me, in me, guiding me through all the difficulties of life. That's the end of Paul's experience. And what a beautiful description. I mean, the experience is is fairly characteristic of, of experiences we've read before. But what a beautiful description of the feelings that he had afterward as he as he had the Holy Communion and so forth. And and though in my religion we do have what we call the sacrament, which is uh, a you know, bread and, and water being served as a you know representation of Jesus Christ and so forth. Um, I'm not as familiar with some of the terms that he's using, but it's my understanding that in the Catholic faith, and please forgive me if I'm misunderstanding that, but the idea is that as you take the sacrament, that that bread and wine are converted into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's no wonder this would be such a sacred experience to him. And the thing that I kind of get out of this is how special rituals and traditions can be in our to our spiritual selves to one who is 
going to Mass, receiving the communion, and and some of the other uh, rituals in regard to that can uh, help someone feel much closer to God, as can in in just about any religious tradition where there is a good positive ritual taking place. But the reason I wanted to bring this up here is because, you know, you look at what we do at Christmas time, our our traditions, um, in whatever uh, culture we are in, we all have traditions around uh, the season. And admittedly, if you're not of a Christian faith, then you may not celebrate in the same ways. But there are things like Hanukkah and, and you know, the Festival of Lights and the uh, um, ver- various communions. And, and anyway, it's, it, it is a, tends to be kind of a season of holy days or holidays, as we would uh, put it today. But they're particularly religious holidays. And if you think about the things that we do, at Christmas time, or what you do for your religious traditions, think about how those things can remind you of your Heavenly Father. Let that tradition, let that ritual work through you, and let it remind you of what God has done for you, and what Jesus Christ has done for you. At the risk of, of, again, offending those who are not Christian, because this is a very broad audience uh, of, of all different faiths, and so I don't want to, um, I hope this doesn't offend anybody in talking more about uh, Christmas and Christianity, but, uh, but I have been thinking lately about this season. And, and while there's different... Uh, ideas of when exactly Christ was born. You know, you you kind of hear different arguments about, you know, how Christmas, the birth of Christ, came to be celebrated on December 25th, and having to do with the uh, winter solstice, and, and some, you know, it, you, there's many that talk about pagan traditions and stuff that were part of the source of that. But despite whatever got us celebrating at this time of year, there are evidences, um, suggestions, things that point to the possibility of the timing of Passover being the uh, the time of year that Christ was born. In fact, when you look at the biblical account, there seems to be quite a bit of, of uh, evidence that that was the time of year, which would explain why in Jerusalem, the inns would have been so packed. Jerusalem was the Jewish Christmas, if you will, in terms of how busy it was, the commercial value, the economy, the the social interaction, and the coming together in the big cities and, and the celebration, not to mention the taxing that was taking place, which brought it even further uh, busyness than it would have been at normal Passover time. But if by chance the the birth of Christ was at Passover time, then it would have been at a time similar to ours when with Christmas season happening. Now, if you are one who is deeply religious or spiritual and and feel a little bit of discomfort with the uh, 
commercialism, with the busy, crazy money spendingness of the season, which I am among those. I have a really hard time with the busyness of Christmas time just because it feels so, you know, like it's taking something beautiful and sacred and turning it into a, you know, money grabbing thing, you know. If you're one that like me that kind of feels that sometimes, think about this. If Christ was born close to Passover time, then he was born at that season of of just holiday turmoil, okay? And there's and there's all this stuff going on. And yet, and yet those who were in the situation to be quiet and to be listening and to be watching such as the shepherds were. I can think of few jobs, especially in the evening, that would be more meditative and quiet and ponderous than being a shepherd. And their idea of shepherding is not quite what it is today. It's sheep herding today where you you know, push them this way, send your dog out to push them that way and so forth. They had more of a tradition of becoming so attached and personable with their sheep that they would simply call and their sheep would come. So rather than it be a rounding up, it would be a calling forward. And so in the evening, the sheep would be coming to rest and the shepherds would just be basically standing guard and basically being there with them and and being ready for any turmoil animals that might come after them to chase them off and so forth. So they were probably in a quiet listening state of mind, probably seeing out seeing the lights of the city and so forth and the bustle going on, but they being in their own quiet way when the angel appeared. And it's kind of a it kind of makes you wonder, did did others on the outskirts see this angel or the light or the heavens opening and hearing the angels um praising God and, and glorifying his name and so forth? Would they have heard all that? And the answer is I don't know. I don't know. But uh, these shepherds were, amidst the bustle, finding time to be quiet and listening. And look what they heard. Now, whether the wise men, it, my understanding is it probably, it was probably that night that the star appeared. And so their arrival wouldn't have been till much later. But they were also in a state of listening and watching because they noticed when that star changed. And my point is, is that during the Christmas season, amidst all the bustle and so forth, take time to be quiet. Take time to meditate. Take time to watch and to look. And to even look on the bustles of people. Sit back a bit and just watch for a minute and think, how is God in this room? What is it about this situation that invites angels? And honestly, the laughter, the love, the exchange of gifts, the uh, even the the frazzled, you know, humor of family experiences together. When we sit back and we watch with a with a patient mind, we can see the love of God in it. We can just see that. That's, that's what's there. So as you celebrate this season, 
don't let the the challenges of the season and there are many i can attest there are many don't let them completely overtake you there will be moments that are just uh, overwhelming and so forth but allow yourself the moments of quiet to listen and to try to hear the angels singing because while you may not hear them with your with your ears you may be able to feel them with your heart that's much of what the message of near-death experience is that uh that we are surrounded by angels at all times. And not to mention, if I'm understanding near-death experiences right, the angels that we often see when we go to the other side or that guide us to the other side or that protect and guide us in this life are our fellow beings, our fellow people. It's our grandma and our sister and our mother and our friend and our friend from school or our, you know, acquaintance who we've only briefly met but had some brief act of love, a smile, a wave, that are there to meet us on the other side. And if they are there to meet us and show love on the other side, why should they not be here on this side for the same reason? They're going through difficult times in their lives as well, just like you are. But that's no reason that we can't be the same angels that we can be, that we will be on the other side of the veil. So be the angels to others and let others be angels to you. So with that, we're going to close up. Uh, again, stick around if you'd like to hear the song that I wrote a few years ago. I'll give a little um, a little introduction to it. I, I was doing it with... A kind of a unique style. I don't usually sing quite with this style, but I thought it would be fun to have kind of a, a show tunes style about my voice and about the the singing and so forth. And and so there's a little bit of of kind of emotional acting. Kind of you you'll hear it as as you listen to it. I I had a little fun with it, trying to make it sound like something that would be in a play or something, but. Uh, but um, it's it's called You Gave You, and it's referring to Christ. It's it's singing to Jesus, uh, and uh, in reference to Christmas time and and so forth. So so anyway, I want to wish all of you a very merry Christmas, a wonderful holiday season, and hope that you'll take this season to come to know your Father in heaven a little better, and to reach out in love to his children who are really when it comes down to it your brothers and sisters so with that thank you again all of you for listening we closed our door to joseph and his wife you opened your door to Gave a trough to lay your head. You built us mansions in our stead. We wouldn't see what you would be, and still you gave your offering to us free. We couldn't find life worth living for. You gave us all and offered more. Gave you, you're a gift.
can't be placed beneath a tree And for you I give the only gift you've asked for And you'll see I give me To be divinely great We brushed your words like they were nothing You stopped to lift us from our suffering We placed a spear tip through your side You placed our souls beyond the great divine And now as I begin to see All the things that you meant for me to be I see you You're the gift that can't be placed beneath a tree And for you I give the only gift you've asked for And you'll see I give me That God so loved the world He sent us you, his only mortal son And when you rose up from the grave You turned and invited us to come We'll follow you You're the gift that can be kept up on the tree And for you I give the only gift you've asked for, eternal.